0: I am the late F. Scott Fitzgerald and you're listening to the Flapper House Podcast. Welcome to Flapper House Podcast number one, the first of many, we hope, or at least several. I'm Joseph B. O'Brien, I'm the managing editor of Flapper House Magazine, and your host, you can just call me Joe, most people do. The Flapper House Podcast is brought to you by Factual Science Magazine, America's most factually scientific magazine since 1728. Factual Science magazine has been with Flapper House from the beginning, our very first sponsor, Um, but I've also been a fan of theirs for even much longer than that. Um, Alibi Jones and I are both very interested in science and very often at the Flapper House we'll engage in heated debates about the accuracy of certain scientific claims, such as, for instance, whether or not urine can actually treat a jellyfish sting, those kinds of things. And every time we can't uh, agree on who's correct, we'll go right to FactualScienceMagazine.com and sometimes I'm the one who's correct, sometimes Alibi is correct, sometimes both of us are a little bit correct, and sometimes both of us are entirely wrong. But we always find the answers we're looking for at FactualScienceMagazine.com and we also uh, find some interesting questions. For instance, in their latest issue of Factual Science Magazine, uh, they ask, Can e-cigs cure the Zika virus? Do Super Bowl commercials exacerbate seasonal affective disorder? And how might listening to podcasts enhance your pheromones? Check out the latest issue of Factual Science magazine to find the answers to those questions and many others, and uh, educate yourself a little with some factual science. And now, because it is our first episode before we go any further, I thought i might offer a brief invocation to our idol of worship, the Glorious Flapper. O Flapper, goddess of revelry, In all your moxie and might, Cradle us in your feathered boas, Let us perch atop your strapping shoulders As you beat your leathery wings And glide us over the gate of dream. Holy Flapper, king of Gnosis, In all your wisdom and chaos, Bless us with the power To unlock all eyes and hearts wherever poison and darkness thrive. And may good fortune fall upon true flappers all. Amen and Hare Krishna. So I'm very excited for the guests we have on our very first podcast, Flapper House podcast number one. Our featured guest is Sarah Dobie Bauer, who's a fantastic writer I've enjoyed for a long time now and I was very excited when she submitted to us a short story called The Wendigo Goes Home and uh, she sent that to us this past summer, uh, August sometime, and it was, if I remember correctly, the the very first uh, short story we accepted for our current issue, Flapper House Number Eight our winter 2016 issue. Um, It was so perfect for our weird little zine and it also helped inform the remaining kinds of stories and even some of the kinds of poems that we accepted uh, into the issue uh, over the course of the fall of this past year. Um, For those that don't know, the Wendigo is a Uh, a monster that originated from Native American folklore and I think after reading her story and accepting it into the issue it uh, kind of informed our decision to have a lot of stories about monsters and critters and other creepy creatures. So Sarah's gonna talk about that story and read a little excerpt from it and also talk about uh, some of her forthcoming work. Also joining us on our very first episode is one of my favorite writers in the history of language. He is a poet extraordinaire. He should be the poet laureate of planet Earth. He is one of the most amazing songwriters who ever walked the Earth. He's even a novelist of great acclaim and renown. And Leonard Cohen will be joining us to give us the weather report. Are we going to be bombarded with another ferocious snowstorm, as we were a couple of weeks ago here on the East Coast? Leonard Cohen is going to tell us, and I'm very excited for that. But before we get to our guests, first, one more announcement. and advertisement for ourselves. On March 23rd 2016 we will be hosting our sixth reading slash the fly party for our ninth issue. We'll be back at our usual haunt, Pacific Standard, a wonderful bar in Brooklyn on 82 4th Avenue just a few blocks from the Barclays Center so very easily accessible by most subways in the New York City area. Our reading will feature uh, Flapper House number nine contributors such as Emily Lindstrom, Stephen Langlois, William Lessard, and Dr. M. Leona Godin. We'll also have a reading from our fiction editor, T. Mazara. He'll be reading from his novel in progress, which he is uh, workshopping with a very famous author. And our featured reader will be our old friend and previous Flapper House contributor Anthony Michael Morena. He'll be reading from his forthcoming novel uh, The Voyager Record which I'm very excited to read. It's coming out from Rose Metal Press in May of this year and he'll be reading from that. Again that's Flapper House reading number six slash Issue number nine, flight party at Brooklyn's Pacific Standard, 82 4th Avenue. It'll be from 7 to 9 p.m. on Wednesday, March 23rd, 2016. And now, let's speak with Sarah Dolby Bauer. So, yeah, I'll start out with an introduction, something along the lines of, uh, our first guest on our very first podcast is a writer, <laughs> a writer and a model and a mental health advocate. She is a regular contributor to sheknows.com. where she writes about sex and literature and Benedict Cumberbatch. Uh, she uh, She's the author of several books, including Bite Somebody, which is forthcoming this year from Red Moon Romance, and she's written a lot of great short stories, and a lot of my favorite publications like bop dead city and the molotov cocktail and her story don't ball the boss was just nominated for a Pushcart last year um she also wrote the wendigo goes home which is in our latest issue flapper house number eight and we'd like to welcome sarah Dobie bauer to the very first flapper house podcast welcome sarah thank you thank you joe so um i've enjoyed reading your writing for a while now when I saw you submitted this story to us uh, last summer, about six months ago, I was extra excited because uh, I've, the Wendigo has has had a very powerful place in my imagination for since I was about nine or ten years old. And I wrote read a story called The Wendigo in a book called Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Have you ever did you ever read that when you were a kid?
1: I have all of those books. I yes. still have the original copies from my
0: childhood on my bookshelf now. <laughs> I, I do, too. I, I love those. So as soon as I saw the Wendigo in the title, I was very excited. And also, of course, as I told you, the movie Ravenous, um, yes. w- one of my favorites. Um, oh, yeah. It's a
1: classic.
0: So I was, I was not disappointed. I, I thought you, you took the story of the Wendigo and, you know, uh, made it your own. And it has a a great little twist at the end that I obviously won't spoil right now. But um, <laughs> um, and you also you blogged recently about um, the inspiration for the story, how uh, the main character Cleve was inspired by some charism- charismatic monsters uh, that you like, like Hannibal Lecter. Do you want to tell us some more about that?
1: Yeah, um, I've always liked I've always liked good guy villains or the charming villain, I guess. I think it started with the Anne Rice Interview with the Vampire series. And, um, you know, the first book is narrated by Louis, who's kind of a uh, he's kind of a whiny, wussy guy. <laughs> and then there's the vampire Lestat, who's this very, very bad person, but you really like him, and you're kind of drawn to him. And then the second book in the series is all about Lestat, and I think um it's those charming villains those are the ones that stick with you the most especially with Hannibal Lecter is another good example um and I've always been fascinated by that like I don't like I, heroes are great but they're never my favorite character in a movie my favorite character in a movie is always the villain you know you look at Heath Ledger's Joker you look at characters like that um those are your, those are the characters that stick with you um Definitely, you know, through, the story, through different stories. And, and I've always liked horror movies in general, so I just love the bad guy. But I think with The One in The Go Goes Home, you know, not only was it inspired by this charismatic villain in Cleve, but it's inspired by the question, if you could choose the way you die, would you? Um, if, if you know you're going to die... Let it happen, or would you choose the way you want to go? And that's always been an interesting question for me, too. It kind of inspired the story as well, um, especially the idea that if you know you have a fatal illness, are you going to let the hospital bed take you, or are you going to let Cleve take you?
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's definitely an interesting question. I, I don't know if, uh, I'd, if I had the choice as much as I wouldn't want my family to to watch me die slowly of a terminal illness. I don't know if I'd have the the guts, no pun intended, to to have myself <laughs> ripped apart by by <laughs> a window. Um Yeah, yeah, true. But Cleve is very charming, so you never know. Maybe
1: he'd talk you into it.
0: No, it's true. I I I've read the story a bunch of times, of course, and every time I read, it, I find myself kind of getting drawn into the way he justifies his his vile acts. He's very charming and Oh yes. He's a very very charming cannibal, very much so. So do you want to maybe treat us to a little excerpt of the story?
1: Sure. Gladly. Um, I'll just read an excerpt from the beginning. Um, this is an excerpt from the When You Go Goes Home by me, Sarah Dobie Bauer. Cleve had prided himself on eating only people who were about to die. Over his hundred and fifty years of cannibalism, he devolved not only his senses, but his morality. While traveling to Northern Ohio, he smelled death on a large young woman with blonde hair and expensive shoes. The scent was subtle. She wasn't the one dying, but someone close to her. Cleve approached and made conversation at the local coffee shop. She was happy to oblige. Cleve looking so tall and handsome in his best brown suit. Her name was Bree Shepard, the manager of a high-end clothing store in Cleveland, single but looking. She liked to talk about herself. Her mother was going through some sort of aging crisis, embracing hot yoga and spin at her local gym. Her dad was a retired lawyer who now said most reading murder mysteries and pretending he would one day write one. Brie talked most about her little brother. Poor Blake, the hopeless homosexual. Perpetually single, despite his good books, and pleasant, albeit quiet demeanor. She said he studied science at the nearby university. Cleve was careful to say very little about himself, other than that he was new in town. He was always new in town. After a refill, Brie invited him from a bonfire at her parents' house. it attended family and friends, And, oh, it be so nice to meet new people in your new city. When they parted, she waved and carried the smell of death down the sidewalk. In her absence, the air smelled of coffee grounds and oil from nearby leaking cars. The sick person could be anyone, really. But Cleve suspected he would meet that person if he stuck close to the cheerful, free shepherd. Perhaps at the bonfire, filled, she said, with so many family and friends. It had been weeks since his last feast, and that nothing satisfactory. Just an old woman in a house that smelled of dishwasher soap and band-aids. He preferred younger meat. In the early 1900s, there were also diseases that sprung up and took people by the dozen. Such a holiday then! But such feasts were rare nowadays, with advances in medicine and preventative treatment. Still, there was hope for the bonfire. Hope for a good, hot meal. The Shepherd House was less house, more estate, two stories with a wraparound white front porch, navy blue siding, and a modernized tin roof that reflected the blue sky at sunset. Bree introduced Clive around to the dozens of guests, all shapes and ages. The house smelled of roasting meat, but still, beneath the body odor and fruit-forward wine, there was a scent of death. Cleve wandered, corner to corner with his glass of wine, sniffing. In that chair, an echo of decay. Just by the window, a shadow of illness. On the back door, a reeking handprint. He recognized the scent. Cancer. Cleve placed his own enormous hand on the back door, took a deep breath. Ah, illness. The delicious smell of a foreshadowed feast. Sounds good, doesn't it? Bree touched his shoulder. Dad's roasting a pig out back. I'll show you now that he'd caught the scent, refused to let go. He followed the girl outside, and nodded with disinterest at the dead-eyed pig on the spit. Bits of marinade dripped from its flesh and hissed in the fire below. A group of people crowded around a large fire pit in the midst of towering oak. Leaves turned black by falling night. Cleve stepped to the edge of the fire where the younger people stood gathered. The scent was stronger there. Cleve's mouth watered. He saw the one young man in a sweater. Despite the summer heat, the raging fire, he looked cold. His thin shoulders hunched forward, but he took a gulp of deer and wiped his mouth with the back of his hand. He smiled when addressed. He smiled and pretended, but he knew. The young man in the sweater knew he was dying, but it was clear no one else did. No one looked at him with pity, didn't make a point to talk to the dying man nor did they avoid him. His illness was his secret, his and Cleve's. The young man in the sweater looked up when he felt Cleve looking. He blinked twice, huge light eyes with a dot reflected fire in the center. The man bit his bottom lip and smiled at Cleve, but stopped abruptly and headed for a black farmhouse in the back corner of the yard. Cleve followed. And the rest of it is in the winter edition of Flapper
0: House number eight. Yes, thank you, Sarah. So, Flapper House number eight, it's on Amazon. Find it there so you can read the rest of The Wendigo Goes Home. (laughs) Um, And so, before we go, let's talk about um, your future and Bite Somebody, which is your book that's coming out this year. Um,
1: It is. Um, Bite Somebody is coming out we don't have a release date yet but it's coming out probably this summer Um, what I like to say about Bite Somebody it's it's about a vampire but it's kind of a vampire parody Um, the tagline is immortality is just living longer with more embarrassment (laughs) and it's um, it's about Celia who is this awkward uh, early 20s kind of loser girl working at a gas station and she gets turned into a vampire and she thinks well vampires are glamorous and charismatic so I'm sure you know now that I'm a vampire I'm going to be really hot stuff and of course she's not she's still just this awkward immortal who's drinking blood out of blood bags and she only drinks A positive because it makes her feel like she's got a good grade (laughs) and um she's just miserable and lonely and she runs into things that she's moving too fast and she's pussy and then um, a man moves in next door and she falls in love with the smell of her neighbor and uh, she doesn't have the guts to meet him or talk to him or uh, anything like that and then she meets Imogene who is another vampire and Imogene's kind of it's funny one of my, one of my friends read by somebody and she her name is Sam and the book's actually dedicated to her but she read it and she said do you know that you wrote us into the book and I I said no I don't I don't think I did that and Sam said that she was Celia and that I was Imogene which made me wonder I was like oh my god am I really that much of a bitch I thought I was a lot nicer than that but (laughs) she said I wrote myself as Imogene and her as Celia which was a very nice compliment um that these two awkward, very different people find each other and become best friends and try to navigate immortality and try to get Celia to hook up with her hot surfer boy neighbor, Ian. Um, so yeah, it's kind of a it's a story for the awkward person in all of us. And it's a story about, you know, being okay with who you are and not needing to be more to be better. You know, being comfortable in your own skin, even if you're a vampire. <laughs> so that comes out hopefully this summer um, from Red, Room, Red Moon Romance. And um, But I have other short stories coming out, you know, in the next couple months. Um, Hot Ink Press, I have a novella coming out, and then I have a short story coming out in Storm Slide Corrective in March. And so, yeah, things are busy, and I'm already working on the Bite Somebody sequel, so, yeah. Oh, wow. Busy. Busy already, and it's only January. <laughs>
0: very cool. Well, I'm I'm very excited to, to read Bite Somebody whenever it does come out. Um, yeah. I know, I, I feel like because of Twilight, we've kind of been on a vampire fatigue for a few years, but now I, th- I think we're ready to, to start getting into vampires a little more, and especially with your approach the way it seems to be a little bit of a parody but with a, yeah. with a very strong emotional story underneath
1: yeah there's this uh, this thing I always remember I used to watch Sex in the City when I was in high school which might have been a little early to be watching Sex and <laughs> the City but um, I remember the writers always would talk about that they would they wouldn't keep dialogue in their final draft unless they could make each other snort or choke on milk or like (laughs) if they they could make each other laugh while writing the dialogue then they knew they had to keep it and when I wrote Bite Somebody that was kind of how I functioned because it's really a comedy it's a comedy it's a romantic comedy at at its simplest (laughs) and so that was very important if I could make myself giggle, then I was like oh well I have to keep that part and uh, my editor Seriously. It does not take the vampire genre very seriously. But I think in order to parody something, you have to respect it and you have to love it. And so, I love the vampire genre. I'm just having a
0: lot of fun with it. Invite somebody. Absolutely. Well, from, from what I've read of your work, you always find that sweet spot between horror and a little bit of eroticism and humor and which is why why I'm such a big fan of your work and so why I'm very excited to read Bite Somebody.
1: Thank you. I appreciate that so
0: much. Well, thank you for talking with us, Sarah. Uh, thanks for being it's our very nice first time. guest.
1: Of course. And um, if anyone wants to find out more about my work, my website is com, and I'm on Twitter and Facebook and just look me up and connect and we can talk about Wendigos and
0: bad horror movies and, <laughs> and comedy and anything else. Sarah Dobie Bauer, everybody. Isn't she just all kinds of delightful? And now we'd like to present a reading from Jonathan Swift's Gulliver's Travels, Part B, Chapter 2. I observed here and there many in the habits of servants with a blown bladder fastened like a flail to the end of a short stick which they carried in their hands. In each bladder was a small quantity of dried peas or little pebbles, as I was afterwards informed. With these bladders they now and then flapped the mouths and ears of those who stood near them, of which practice I could not then conceive the meaning. It seems the minds of these people are so taken up with intense speculations that they neither can speak nor attend to the discourses of others without being roused by some external taction upon the organs of speech and hearing, for which reason those persons who are able to afford it always keep a flapper in their family as one of their domestics, nor ever walk abroad or make visits without him. And the business of this officer is, when two or more persons are in company, gently to strike with his bladder the mouth of him who is to speak, and the right ear of him or them to whom the speaker addresseth himself. This flapper is likewise employed diligently to attend his master in his walks, and upon occasion to give him a soft flap on his eyes, because he is always so wrapped up in cogitation that he is in manifest danger of falling down every precipice and bouncing his head against every post and in the streets of jostling others or being jostled himself into the kennel." And now, friends, here is the legendary Leonard Cohen with the weather. The rain continues falling Like the veils of Salome Turning to a wintry mix By early Saturday There's a high of forty-four And a low of twenty-three Out west the wind blows mighty with the force of Yahweh's wrath as I sing to fair Bathsheba while she takes her moonlight bath there's a tornado roaring in effect until 4.30 mountain time. Thank you, Leonard. Well, folks, you heard the man. Make sure you bundle up and batten down those hatchets. Well, that's about all the time we have for this first episode of the Flapper House podcast. We're sorry we have to mosey off into the sunset so soon, but we promise we'll offer you much longer episodes in the future. Hopefully we'll have another one for you within the next few weeks. We'd like to thank our guests, Sarah Dobie Bauer and Luke Cohen. The music you've heard in this episode is by The Cracked Shadows, the opening song was called Black Arrow. The song you heard in the middle before Sarah's interview was called Anna Karina. And the song you're listening to now is called Mastic Beach. Don't forget, you can visit us at flapperhouse.com or on Twitter at Flapperhouse. And on Facebook at Flapperhouse Mag. And if you're in the New York City area on Wednesday, March 23rd. 2016 we hope maybe we'll see you at flapper house Reading number six slash issue number nine flight party until next time keep flapping